Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to a special edition of Spill the Tea here at the James Madison Institute. I'm Bob McClure, President and CEO of of JMI, and with me today is uh, our great privilege to have Ed Long, who is the Director of JMI's Tech and Innovation Center. Ed, welcome. Thank you for having me. We're going to have a little bit different format, as many of our listeners are, are used to. There's a lot of give and take between either Sal and Logan, or Logan and me, or Sal and me. Uh, but today we're going to focus in with with uh, Ed here uh, in Tallahassee. Ed's based in Washington, D.C., runs JMI's Tech and Innovation Center. We're going to focus in on some kind of long-form uh, Q&A here on tech. Does that work for you, Ed? Works for me. And, and you know, we're, we're living in a world where people constantly are discussing uh, different platforms and uh, you know whether TikTok should be banned and and all of the different issues that that Americans face and then with that come elected officials having to make decisions at both the state and federal level so we thought having Ed in town would be a great opportunity to uh, to have some long form Q and A on uh, this week's edition of Spill the Tea so let's get right into it Ed let's before we look forward let's look a little bit backwards 2022 was a a busy year for tech policy at both the state and the federal level. Uh, could you talk briefly about what the major issues were? Sure. So one of the sort of principal issues was obviously the antitrust legislation. Twenty twenty one, the Democrats released a four hundred page report on the state of the digital landscape. You know, a lot of that was calling for the reform of America's antitrust laws to move away from what's traditionally been called the consumer welfare standard. And on to kind of a more big is bad mentality. We saw bills crop up, uh, the American Choice and Innovation Online Act, the Open App Market Act, and the Platform Competition Monopoly Act. And all these bills were basically designed to target three or four major American tech companies. We've had, thankfully, most of those failed to gain any traction just because of the significant damage they would have inflicted. All right, Ed, so not everyone uh, list, that listens to our, our podcast fully understands the tech space. Talk about why those potential laws would be bad for consumers. Sure. So American tech companies are at the, the sort of forefront of innovation. They're investing billions of dollars in artificial intelligence, in, in cybersecurity. And a lot of those bills would restructure those companies so that how they generate their revenue is would be cutting off that stream. You know, the American Innovation Choice Online Act would ban, for example, self-preferencing of a product. So if you wanted to go onto Amazon to buy cheap batteries, there would, Congress would place limits on how they could sell that to you. Wow. Now, what wouldn't what, who, companies that wouldn't be affected by that would be groups like Target, who, much like Amazon, have their own brand. Groups like Best Buy, who can offer cheaper products than brand name. But that would... But, the online digital platforms would be affected, and that would hurt consumers, giving them denying them access to cheap products. So essentially, the the were these laws to pass, the the Congress would be then picking winners and losers. That's effectively what it is. It's Congress saying that you know we want to favor traditional brick and mortar stores over tech platforms. Right. 
So as we look for, and obviously none of those passed. So as we look into 2023, here we are, first month of the year. Uh, what do you think will be coming up this year at both the state and federal levels? And as the tech center director at the James Madison Institute, what would you like to see happen? So here in Florida, I think the main focus this session is going to be on education. We saw Speaker Renner release HB1, the universal ESAs. And I think that's sort of indicative of where the legislature wants to go. And obviously, JMO will be fully supporting that. We're likely to see some tech-related bills, uh, two social media bills have already been filed for consideration. We're also likely to see some uh, data privacy legislation, which has been a big issue down here in Florida for a number of years, and also potentially some child online safety bills, which obviously we'll want to take a t- assess just to make sure that they are, you know, to help lawmakers sort of steer, steer them in the right sure. direction. Yeah. What about at the federal level? Do you see anything moving forward there with the divided Congress? Sure. And I, I, I think that's that's the, the big question. Uh, with Congress divided between Republicans controlling the House and Democrats controlling the White House and the Senate, I think any major tech legislation will be put on the back, back burner. What I do think we'll probably see some bipartisan support for some child online safety bills. They've been particularly problematic for a number of reasons, mainly that they're going to increase data collection on younger Americans, potentially some data privacy legislation, which JMI is consistently backed at the federal level. There's divergent opinions how that should act or how that should be implemented between Democrats and Republicans, and also a lot of anti-China stuff. We're seeing a lot of hostility towards you know, popular apps like TikTok, I wouldn't be surprised if sort of some anti-China legislation gained traction in the Congress. All right. I want to come back to that in just a second. So, But it's interesting that you said that the supposed, and Congress does this regularly, in the name of safety, in the name of uh, predictability, they always say those kinds of things, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act, they misname things, the Inflation Reduction Act all the time. But in the name of child safety, you're saying that actually they would be gathering, the government would be gathering more data on these children, not less. So one of the the, the major issues with these online safety bills is actually the age gating. Um, Age gating? Age gating. Okay, tell people what that means. So age gating is, for example, if you want to go on to a you know, a liquor site. Right. You'll be asked, are you over 21? Right. You'll be asked to insert a birthday or click yes or no. A similar issue, we might see similar issues with, you know, more accessible sites. Right. This age gating is, is, is mandated. The problem with that, though, is it doesn't actually stop anyone. It's very easy for someone who's a minor to say, I'm over 18, I'm over 16, I'm over 21. That's not actually affecting, or that's not actually preventing them getting into this site. It's the tech version of the fake ID, right? It's the tech version of the fake ID. When we were all growing up. Apart from it's a lot easier to get because you don't have to ask anyone for anything. Right. Um, It's, you know, it's, there's, there's risks there that ultimately sites will have to collect more information on minors when Congress is trying to steer them away from it. Right. And then there's questions of how is that data held. It's a privacy issue. Privacy issue, cybersecurity issue. There's many sort of, you know, flaws in these bills that need to be correctly addressed. California has just really screwed the pooch with Mm -hmm. its recent uh, bill on child safety. The Age Appropriate Design Act 
you know, similar issues. Okay. All right. Everybody, you know, TikTok is all the rage amongst our children uh, and and some adults, obviously. There's been a lot of question. You mentioned TikTok, anti-China uh, legislation. Um, there's been a lot of question about uh, whether it should be banned on college campuses, in government offices. Uh, what is JMI's position on TikTok? And then can you kind of amplify sure. what you mean by, quote, anti-China, end quote, legislation? Sure. So... The, the TikTok issue is about how much control the, the Chinese Communist Party has over the app. Uh, several years ago, they passed a uh, security bill that required all private companies to assist the state in the collection of intelligence. Obviously, ByteDance being owned, owned by the Chinese, uh, Chinese companies, there's a risk that the Chinese Communist Party could say, we want data on American citizens. Sure. TikTok's response to this is that we wouldn't give them the data if they were asked, if we were asked for it. Also that, you know, we've been working with a group called Oracle uh, to have our servers based in the US. And that's all, you know, being discussed between TikTok and the federal government. Now, I think there's, the risk here is that effectively by banning TikTok is the government engaging in practices that would violate the First Amendment. You know, the Supreme Court has traditionally taken a maximalist approach to the First Amendment, so it might run into issues there. Is there the, the, is there the opportunity that the data could be used? Maybe. Uh, I, I think it's fairly indicative to listen to what Christopher Ray said, and I think people should listen to what Christopher Ray says. He said there is... Head the, of the Department of Justice. Head of the FBI. FBI, excuse me. Yeah, that's right. He's been saying, you know, that TikTok could send this data to China if they so choose. Now, that's very different than saying they are sending this data. You know, let's make legislation on fact, right. not conjecture. You know, we don't beat China internationally by becoming China at home. Right. Um, so I think there's definitely constitutional questions in terms of kind of the state issues, um, you know, Florida was one of the first states to ban TikTok on government devices in the Department of Financial Services. Recently, we've seen a number of other states impose similar bans of having TikTok on government devices. I have no issue with that. In fact, I don't think social media apps should be on any government device. Mm -hmm. What I would be worried if that started eking out into the private sphere that no okay you can't have tiktok on a private device right that i think would be a, a major concern okay um staying in this kind of social media uh space are there other issues uh related to social media that you see coming down the the pike that unrelated to tiktok and, and just other social media issues in general that you see coming down in 2023 that we're going to be need, needing to deal with so i think the big sort of question is actually going to be coming up in february and that's two cases heading to the supreme court mm. on covering section 230 uh, for those of you who don't know section 230 has been been sort of dubbed you know the 26 words that created the internet because it provides liability protection for platforms like facebook like Twitter, like YouTube, that host content, that they cannot be sued for that content. 
you know, conservatives have traditionally been very hostile to Section 230, arguing that it's being used to censor them online, despite, you know, people like Dinesh D'Souza, Charlie Kirk, having some of the largest social media following. The concern is that if social media, if the, sorry, the, if the Supreme Court starts to wind back that Section 230 protection, that we'll actually see more content moderation, that we'll see you know, a, a vastly different internet from what we have at the moment. I think the best analogy would be, Bob, if you invited me to a dinner party and I started spouting off racist, homophobic remarks, you as a private individual have the right to say, you're not welcome here anymore. Right. Now, if I can, if other attendees can sue you for what I said the likelihood is that you just don't host dinner parties anymore. Right. And I think sort of losing that protection would be very dangerous for the uh, for the, the social media landscape and the, the sort of innovation sector. Interesting. That's a great analogy. So then what is the answer for um, those in the conservative movement who believe that Facebook, uh, Google, um, Alphabet, not so much Twitter anymore, but even in some cases maybe Twitter, that they still have their kind of thumb on the scale in opposition to conservative views. What is the answer uh, for that in the social media space? The solution is Section 230. You know, Section 230 prevents platforms being sued for content. Social media sites like True Social, like Parler, could not exist without... Section 230. Ah. So if conservatives start eating away at Section 230, ultimately they're going to be forced onto the platforms that they, they've been complaining are censoring them. Right. Ultimately, uh, Meta, Twitter, they can deal with these lawsuits. They have got, right. they've got the lawyers, they've got the content moderation right. team, that they can deal with this. True Social, when it started out, could not deal with it, probably many lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Um so the conservatives really need to be embracing Section 230, not opposing it. So it sounds like then that the answer is more competition for these Correct. with these other companies, but the only way to allow the, quote, little guy into the competitive market is to protect him from a liability standpoint because Correct. only the big boys would be able to yep. take care of themselves. It's and like almost like uh, if you eliminate 230, it's almost like, you have this guild or this union of of uh, big companies, and no one else can can get past that barrier. And this goes back to you know go, the government picking winners and losers right. again. It's, right. it's it's enshrining incumbents into the marketplace. It's and it's going to hurt the little guy. You know we've seen we've I mean, we've seen the consequences of rolling back liability protections in Australia. Their court system found that Google were responsible for a video posted to YouTube that defamed an Australian politician. So what happened after that? Uh, CNN turned off its comments page on Facebook for the CNN Australia. Several lawmakers closed off their comment pages because they were terrified that they were going to be the next one. Right. Now, cutting people off from news sites, cutting people off from politicians is not a good society. Right. That, that's why having these liability protections is critical. Interesting. And so the reality is that what state and national uh, federal elected officials need to do is look for ways to increase competition, Correct. not lessen it. Correct. Great. That's that, that's fascinating point. All right, moving on, talking about online speech, do you think Congress has any role at all 
in regulating online speech? No, in short. Um, None at all. You know, the federal courts have, the Supreme Court, the federal courts have traditionally taken a maximalist approach to the First Amendment, meaning that, you know, these entities have very limited role in, in, in policing online speech. You know, but that hasn't stopped the Biden administration from jawboning, and that hasn't stopped legislators at both the state and federal level from pa- proposing legislation that would increase government control. And tell, tell your listeners, what is jawboning and uh, what bills are you talking sure. about there? So jawboning, in very simple terms, is when an individual in a position of power will you seek to use that power to influence content moderation decisions to uh, you know influence uh, the policing of speech can you give us an example or another analogy so the the great example is uh, during covid-19 right is that the biden administration engaged in a, a, a covert and protracted campaign to get facebook twitter to remove misinformation, disinformation from their platforms. Now, I'm not saying having disinformation or misinformation on a site is a good thing. I'm just saying that this is protected speech. The the courts have said that. And then the federal government coming in to sort of get them to remove that is, I think, a clear violation of constitutional rights, especially the First Amendment. We've also seen a recent bill introduced by uh, Sheila Jackson-Lee from Texas, the uh, leading on White Supremacy Act, that would basically make it illegal or a a criminal offence to articulate white supremacist views on social media platform. Again, I'm not saying that that white supremacist speech is good. I'm just saying that it's not Congress's place to regulate that. One of the benefits of having such an open, you know, social media landscape is that these views are open to scrutiny, and they're ultimately open to ridicule. But right. you can see that these people are making a fool of themselves if you close mm-hmm. them off from that ridicule. Is that just entrenching their views in a way that's not ultimately good for society? And I, I, I don't like to be seen to be defending that, but I think ultimately what we want to be making sure is that the marketplace of ideas is sort of robust, is that, you know, it can challenge these particularly heinous views. Right. And and the other the other side of that coin is with Sheila Jackson Lee's bill, who it's like it's like um when people say how can you be against hate crimes or hate speech? On the other side of that is well, who gets to define Correct. what hate crime is and what hate speech sure, obviously clearly uh, racist or home, you know, language or 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 you know, white supremacist language, in many times is obvious. But then, does that mean if you you know have a, a conservative position on you know school choice, or Correct. and somebody opposes that view of school choice, or underserved communities that participate in school choice? So it's a it's like, to your point, we don't want Congress defining just like hate speech, hate speech, and hate speech laws have been abused. Uh, we don't want Congress taking a blunt instrument to these kinds of decisions. Well, I think especially kind of as, you know, the societal definitions of words change. Right. Right, is that what something means today is not what it's going to mean in future generations. Sure. Likewise, words that had meaning back then don't have the same meaning today. Right. Now, if Congress is then going to start 
de- you know determining what which words can enter the lexicon and which ones can't that then becomes particularly problematic sure um is there any role for states in this discussion or is this purely a federal issue so i think states you know the the supreme court has has held state officials to the same standard as federal officials traditionally that you know the first amendment applies to them in the same way that it applies to officials in Washington. Uh, so I, I think they're going to be particularly hemmed in in what they try to do. We've seen some social media bills pop up here in Florida, another one in Texas, and that they've had, you know, they've been challenging the courts. Right. The Florida bill, the deplatforming bill, was ultimately struck down. The Texas bill was allowed to stay. So that's probably heading to the Supreme Court. Um, so I, th- I think that's a an open-ended question at the moment that we'll be seeing in the, the upcoming session. Okay. All right. This has been a great uh, conversation, Ed, and I really appreciate you you joining us here. Uh, JMI has come up with what uh, you call 10 for Tech, uh, and it's basically 10 policy solutions, 10 policy issues that um, elected officials, both at the state and federal level, need to be looking into when it comes to the future of tech, tech and innovation. Yep, your center name. Uh, could you talk a little bit about Ten for Tech as it relates sure. and the issues that JMI really sees as important for the future? Sure. So obviously, there's been a lot of hostility to big tech over the past couple of years, and that's resulted in pieces of legislation being proposed at the state and federal level that will be very damaging to tech and innovation. That would sort of, you know harm America's global leadership that would sort of allow foreign companies to innovate faster to and you know ultimately lead the way in the way that you know America traditionally has. So 10 for Tech was sort of 10 policies that you know JMI believed if state legislators implemented would ultimately create this open space that to allow innovators to flourish. You know it covers a, a broad range broad range of topics you know, everything from enshrining contractor status into law, at the moment it's not in most states, to increasing investment in cybersecurity, to it's also creating things like regulatory sandboxes. So this is kind of really 10 positive policies that we think, if states implement, that will really help sort of innovation flourish. And our listeners can go to jamesmadison.org Correct. and see the list of 10 for tech and learn yep. more about those kinds of issues. Yep. Great. Correct. Well, this has been a treat. We have, uh, as I said at the beginning, we've had Ed Long down here from Washington, D.C. Ed is the director of JMI's Center for Tech and Innovation, and he's in town not only to meet with legislators, but uh, for our uh, Tallahassee annual dinner with Betsy DeVos. So uh, really great having you here today, Ed. to be down in the uh, free state of Florida. Great. We'll get you back down here soon. So that wraps up this edition of Spill the Tea. We'll look forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.